want to see you open up the floodgates. A mighty river flowing from your heart and feeling every part of our
the Lord church he is worthy we magnify you we glorify you there is none like you oh God in all the heavens in all the earth your name be lifted high for you are awesome God and you are mighty and we bless your holy name we lift you and magnify you oh Lord Jesus hallelujah amen amen continue to worship him you may be seated Father, we praise you right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, touch Aiden, whatever's going on with him, bring healing right now in the name of Jesus. You are our healer. Lord, for those that are in this house today that need a touch from you, open our hearts, open our minds. Let us hear what thus saith the Lord. Let us open up in a way that when your spirit touches us, we respond to that. Let our hearts not be hardened as your people were in Israel. Soften our hearts. Give us a heart of flesh. Make us sensitive to what you're going to say to us today. And we will praise you for it in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen in the house today. Isn't God good? Amen. Praise the Lord. You've heard the story of the three Hebrew boys, three Hebrew children, whatever you want to call them. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anybody ever heard that story? If you went to church when you were a kid, I promise you, 
you know exactly what I'm talking about. Nebuchadnezzar has built this, this golden image of himself. He has commanded everybody in the province that at the sound of the flute, the trumpets, the leery, all these different instruments that they are to bow down to him and worship him. Uh, it is very, uh, very pointed when he says that if you refuse to bow, we have prepared this fiery furnace for you, you will be thrown into it. When the three Hebrew boys refuse to bow, they are brought before King Nebuchadnezzar and this is what he said to them. He said, and who is that God that will deliver you out of my hands? Does anybody remember that? Who is that God that will deliver you out of my hands? In, in his arrogance, in his cockiness, in his moment that he felt like he was even higher than God in his pride, I can hear him asking the question because this is what I hear and it is where is your God? That's what I want to deal with today. Where is your God? Let's go to Psalm 42. This is a scripture that we read of, of David as he's writing. He says, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all the day long, this is what they're saying, where is your God? God. Now I want to quickly go through this this morning and get into the heart of my sermon, but, but I don't want to miss this because you know sometimes we, we preach the Bible but we miss real life stuff and I don't want to do that today. But one of the most painful experiences that we will ever go through in our life is the feeling of loneliness. Has anybody in the house ever been lonely? Listen, you are not alone because statistically, and, and these statistics are even pre-COVID before that happened, and it changed a lot as well. But it has been estimated that some 70% of Americans say that they feel chronically lonely. That means that they have tried all kinds of different things, therapy, they've tried medication, they've tried all these things, but they are chronically lonely, meaning that they cannot find a solution to their problem. Now, when we think of loneliness, we think that loneliness means that we are alone, right? Doesn't that make sense? So if, so if you put me on an island and leave me, I'm lonely because I'm alone. And that makes sense. But on the other hand, you can be in the middle of a crowd of people like you are today and you feel lonely right here and right now in the presence of all these people. Is everybody still with me? I'm gonna, I've, got, I've got a word for you today. You can feel lonely even in the middle of a crowd because loneliness is the feeling of being left out. It is the sense of being disconnected and cut off from others. It comes from a lack of belonging, a lack of intimacy, to be included, to be wanted, to be loved, to be accepted. There's different types of loneliness. There's emotional loneliness, which comes from a lack of close friendships. Whenever God created Adam, you'll recall what he said to him in Genesis 2.18. He said, it is not good for for man to be alone so he gave him a wife and her name was Eve loneliness is a struggle in our world today it is a struggle for some single people it is, it is a struggle for divorcees that were married for years but now their love has grown apart and they find themselves alone. Loneliness is for those that maybe have lost their spouse and they're no longer with them and they're experiencing loneliness at a level that we can only imagine. 
It is not only a loneliness can come from a lack of approval from your parents. It can come from a lack of approval from your peers or your friends feeling not accepted. Or it can be situations such as death, the loss of a family member, a mom, a dad, a divorce, retirement. All kinds of things can cause us to feel lonely. Sometimes we can identify with the man that went to the psychiatrist and requested that he give him something for multiple personalities to which the psychiatrist said why in the world do you want something for that to which he tells him at least I'd have someone to keep me company. Loneliness is a real issue ladies and gentlemen and then there's social loneliness. Does anybody know what social loneliness is? This is walking around life aimlessly in marginal existence in the world Feelings as if you're there, but you really don't connect with peers. You don't connect with society. Oftentimes, this is caused by social, meaning it is caused by technology, as like I've said many times. While technology has been a blessing to us, on the other hand, it has been a curse to us. I thank God today for our Facebook audience. They're getting to, to enjoy a new camera. Our sound's going back through our soundboard again, so that's good. Our sound quality's better today than it has been. Our old camera broke. There's a new one up there, so I'm excited about that. There's some things about technology that are good things, but there's other sides of technology that have absolutely ruined us. When you are sitting at the dinner table, and we were laughing about this at our dinner table just, or, or lunch just the other Sunday, when you're sitting there and somebody comes in and they're like, man, this is good food, they're eating it and they grab their phone and they text, aren't you enjoying the food today? And you write back and say, man, the chicken is awesome. And I want to sit here and say they are sitting across the table from you, but this is a society that we have created. And that is why when you've got a group of guys sitting around a table, every one of them is on their phone and they're texting because technology has burnt us and what it has done is left us socially feeling lonely. Because we don't connect with anybody else. God recognized it in the beginning and he said to Adam, you cannot be alone. You've got to find somebody you can connect with. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I'm glad to tell you today, if you go to a Bible-believing church, you should never have to do life alone. You should never have to walk through your trouble alone. You ought to have somebody in that church that can come alongside you, take your hand, love you through it, help you through it. Don't ever feel like you're alone because you are not alone I need you to know that today you are not alone but then there's spiritual loneliness now this comes from being disconnected from God the psalmist felt it when he asked the question in Psalm 42 he said where is God now sometimes I've asked the question myself where are you God where are you when I need you most why do I feel like in my moments that I need you most, you are furthest away from me? Let's not act super spiritual today as if we've never done that because we have. We've questioned God. We have looked up to the sky before and said, where are you, Lord? Because we didn't feel him. Do you know why? We felt lonely. 
we felt alone. Not only did we not feel like people were with us, our family was with us, but we even get so lonely that we feel like God is not with us. Listen to me. This is a trick from Satan himself to try to cause you to falter and to fail. Hear me, child of God, today. Hear me. Loneliness, loneliness, loneliness. You do not even, listen, even Jesus felt it on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, recall with me what he said. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus felt it. The psalmist David said, where is God? When the doctor gives a terminal disease diagnosis, we ask, where is God? When our prayers that we've been praying for years go unanswered, we say, where is God? When our children rebel against everything we ever taught them to do and what was right, we ask, where is God? When the company downsizes and they give you a pink slip and say, Bob, we appreciate your 40 years of service, but it's time to let you go. We got a younger guy taking your job. Where is God? When our ministry and oftentimes we pump everything out that we can. We give everything we can. We try all just as hard as we can. But we produce little results and we ask where is God? You get the point don't you today? We lose a loved one unexpectedly. Where is God? This is a question that we ask. But the psalmist found an answer when he said in verse 11 of 42, he said, just put your hope in God. So he goes in the psalm and he resolves his loneliness where? In the presence of God. If the Holy Spirit has been given to us for anything in this day and hour, it is not just for shouting and rejoicing. If the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Spirit means anything to us, it means that in the middle of life's difficulties, God said you have a comforter, which means that you are not alone. That is what the work of the Holy Spirit is about. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit reassures us of the greatest promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Another word is I will never abandon you. Our emotions may tell us that God has left. But faith says, wait a minute, God has not left you. God is near you. We need to learn to function out of our will instead of our emotions and how we feel. They will get us in trouble. But the psalmist declared three I will statements. And this is what I want to give you today. He said, I will praise Him. I will remember Him. And I will go to the altar of my God. You ready? The first one is I will praise him. My goodness have mercy. David said, so why are you downcast? Why are you discouraged? In chapter 42 and verse 5, he said, I will praise him. In 42, 11, he said, I will praise him. In 43, 5, he said, I will praise him again. Three times he prayed. See, understand with me, it's kind of like Gehazi with the man of God. And Elijah says, go check. Is there anything coming? He says, there's not a, a cloud in the sky. There's no rain coming. I'm so sorry to tell it to you. What did he say? Go again. I go again. There's nothing. 
go again. Seven times he says, go again, go again, go again. Until finally on the seventh time he comes back and says, my goodness, there's a miracle. In the middle of a blue, crystal blue sky, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. And he said, get ready. That's the hugest rain you're going to see in the last three and a half years. It's here, baby. Understand with me. He said, go back. See, there's sometimes that when you don't feel nothing, you got to be like David and say, I will praise him again. When you feel like God's not there, I'm going to go back and praise him again. You praise him as many times as it takes. Sooner or later, a miracle's on the way. Woo, hallelujah to God. Hallelujah. Praise him until the miracle comes. So when it hits us, when life comes, and it will, trust me, when the difficulties of life come, we can respond in different ways. We can do what I like doing. We can complain about it, right? How many of you like complaining? I love complaining sometimes. It feels so good. We can complain about life's difficulty. We can get angry like I did last night. Anyhow hopelessness can set in I'm telling you fear or we can respond with praise praise is an act of the will praise comes somewhere from deep within a deep well inside of us it comes from an intimacy with God that the world does not understand that is why when Christians go through hard times and, and people sit back and say, where did that come from? It's something deep inside of them that's coming out. It is their praise. And they can give God glory and give God honor even when things are negative and when the outlook is pessimistic and it appears that nothing good's going to happen, but they're still praising God and giving God glory. And we're saying, where in the world did that come from? They found out a secret, ladies and gentlemen. Praise can make a difference. See, if, if I were to break praise down into two principles, I would give it to you this way. You praise God because of who He is. That's first and foremost. I praise God because God is God. I praise God, not, not I praise Him whether He does anything for me another day in my life. I praise God because He is my Creator. He has given me the breath that I have. He has allowed me to function and have a job that, that I can provide for my family. He's allowed me to do one of the, the greatest things you can do, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. What could be better than that, right? I mean, the Great Commission, I mean, that's what we're living out here. And so I praise God because of who God is. But not only that, I praise God for what He has done. And in Psalm 103, David said it this way, forget not his benefits. That means I'm praising God not only for what he's done, but I'm praising God for what he does. Do y'all see how praise can just take off like a rocket ship? I praise God for who he is. I'm going to take a moment, I'm going to praise God for what he's done. Which leads me from the past to where I am now. And then I got to start praising God for what he does. And then that leads me into my vision and where I'm going and the future. And I'm praising God for what he's going to do. Do y'all see what praise can do? The enemy understand this, understands this very well too. 
And that is why he tries to keep us from praising. But David finally understands when I feel lonely, if I can just push through and praise him again, things will get better. Number two, I will remember him. I want to go to chapter 42 and verse 6. I want to read it in two versions. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights. Somebody say heights. That's up there. That's the high place of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Go to my other verse. I want to read it in this one too. My God, now I am deeply discouraged. I want you to notice the word now. Is anybody discouraged right now? Is anybody lonely right now? I'm not talking about next week. I'm talking about now, David said. I am deeply discouraged, but what will I do? I'll praise you, but I'll also, I'm going to remember you. Even from distant Mount Hermon, etc., etc. Understand with me, I am discouraged now. But the loneliness that he feels. The psalmist is probably exiled in Damascus of Syria during one of the evasions of the Arameans during this time. He longs for the promised land to get back there. He thinks about the temple that has been destroyed and he wants to go back to the days when, when you could go to the temple for the great festivals and worship God. He remembers the upper mount. He remembers the heights of, of that great Mount Hermon, the mountain range. It would be 9,000 feet above sea level. And Mount Mazar, which is a source of, of water for the Jordan River that runs into it. The crashing waterfalls symbolize to him this overwhelming life that is just crashing down. He feels despair. Life is crashing down on him. Trouble after trouble is just pounding and falling on top of him until he feels like he's about to be drowned. But then he remembered the high. Folks, let me tell you something. Our flesh in us, we are so short-sighted. We are much like the children of Israel. All we think about is the right now. When they are going out of Egypt's bondage, all those people could do was complain, complain, complain. Lord, we're, uh, Moses, we're thirsty now. All right, I'll talk to God. No, we need water now. Not for one moment do they think about where God has brought them from. They never do. They never do. Hey, we're hungry, Moses. Are you going to, you just brought us out here to die? Man, if I'd have been Moses, I'd have wanted to jab them right in their eyeballs. A Ric Flair move. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Woo! Google it later and you'll get it. I'm not going to do the strut because my wife would kill me. They're worried about the here and the now. Never thinking of what God. See, I think that's the way we are sometimes. We get in the middle of loneliness or the middle of trouble and say, God, you're nowhere to be found. But David said, this is the secret that I have learned. When I get down and out, I am not going to focus on the now. I am going to remember the heights of where I have been before. Because I may be low now, but God has had me on a many of mountains. 
My, my, my mother used to sing that song. The God of the mountain. Y'all remember that, right? He's still the God of the valley. When things go wrong, he'll make them right. The God of the good times. He's still God in the bad times. The God of the day. He's still God in the night. The God of the mountain is the God of the valley. That song is so important because what it's trying to get you to understand is the God that was on the mountain is the God in the valley. He wants you, he wants you to understand that the landscape around you may have changed. It may not be the same landscape. It has changed but God has not changed. Your situation has changed but God has not changed. Your job changed, but God didn't change. You've got to remember the heights of where you've been. God tells us, remember, we forget God's blessings. Like small children, we give them a new toy. They get it, they play with it for a few minutes at Christmas. The new wears off, I've told you before. I should have returned the gift and just kept the box. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's right. You pay $200 for a gift in a box and the kids ended up playing with the box and building a fort right there and putting the other one to the side. Send it back, honey. Keep the box. It's cheaper. They forget what was done for them as they focus their attention on another new toy, another new thing. God help us that we tend to forget of God's salvation and God's blessings in our life. The newness of the new birth wears off. The newness, the joy, it becomes an old hat. We lose the freshness we once had in Christ. We lose the vitality and the life that we had. The joy of Christ that used to work in our hearts. The joy of the Lord that was our strength. That's why David said, forget not all his benefit. Forget not, not only what he's done for you. Forget not what he's doing for you. Because listen to me, Remembering, remembering. David does it all the time. He goes to fight a giant, but he remembers the lion and the bear. And when he remembers the hikes, he says, this guy's going down too. And he's fighting him in the middle of a valley. But he won because he remembered the hikes. The love that he remembers. He remembers God's covenant love. Day after day, he experiences God's care, God's protection, God's grace. God's love is the comfort of the soul. It encircles us. It surrounds us. Even though we go through depression, we go through unanswered questions in life, never forget that the love of God is all around you, ladies and gentlemen. Ephesians 3, got to hurry and close. Verse 18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should. Are you ready for this? The world does not understand it. This is a promise to God's people. You should understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love is. Why? Because you have experienced it. Why? Because you know you don't deserve it. You know you better than anybody else. And some of you know you ain't fit for this love. Uh-uh, we, we don't deserve it. But because of His love, now we know how deep, how wide, how high, and how wonderful the love of... May you experience the love of Christ 
Though it is too great to understand fully, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I love verse 20. All the glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Another version said to Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power of God that works in us. What does that mean? Let me break it down for you. That God is at work even in the most adverse, worse situations and circumstances. I was reading a story of the French Science Academy of Science. There's a, in that place, there's a, a rather plain old shoemaker's awl on display, which an awl was pretty much what they, just a small pointed tool that they would use to pierce through belts and things like that, through leather. They would pierce it with that awl. But the story behind the all is what makes it extraordinary in the French Academy of Science building. To look at it, you would think it was just ordinary. It's a simple tool, no big deal, not responsible for anything of consequence. How could this make a difference? But this all caused tremendous pain for one kid. Because this all one day fell from the shoemaker's table and it put out the eye of the shoemaker's nine-year-old son named Louis. The injury was so severe, not only did the boy lose vision in that eye, he ended up losing vision in both of his eyes, was enrolled in a special school for children that were blind. And the boy begins to learn how to read by handling these large carved wood blocks. When the shoemaker's son becomes an adult, he thinks, I believe there's a new way that blind people could read. And it involved learning a system. A system of dots that were translated into the letters of the alphabet that could be read from a piece of paper or any flat surface. Lewis Braille actually used the very all that had blinded him as a boy to form the dots into the whole new reading system for the blind that today we call what? Braille. In the middle of it absolutely changed the world. Now for us, we're like, no big deal, right? But you can see. But to blind people, it changed everything for them. What are you trying to tell me, Pastor? I'm trying to tell you that even when you don't understand it, God is at work in the middle of some bad, difficult stuff. In the middle of adverse circumstances that are working against you. God is at work. There was a scripture somewhere that said it like this. That all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Lewis Braille found what that really meant when he did that. And I'll leave you with this. Thirdly, he says, I'll praise him. I'll remember him. Last, I will go to the altar of God. Look at chapter 43. He says, there I will go to the altar of God, to God. Do y'all see the reiteration here? I will go to the altar of God, right? That's the altar. But then he says, to God. Oh, y'all ain't getting this. That means that he went to the altar of God because he knew when he got there, he was going to find God. At the altar. The source of all my joy. I will praise you with my harp. I'm going to strum that harp. My God. Oh my God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. The altar is the place where God dwells. I am going to God. 
The psalmist has in his mind in the old temple they've got the brazen altar. It is at the brazen altar that worshipers would, would bring a turtle dove or a blood sacrifice offering. And they would invite others to, to as they present it to God, to praise God with them. For us, it is a place of confession of sin. The altar is a place of consecration from ourselves to God's will. It is a place of personal communion, a place of fellowship with God. Throughout Psalm 42, his longing for the presence of God is evident. He says, just like a deer is panting for the water brooks, so, so my heart is panting after you, God. He starts off, he addresses him as God. David goes on later and calls him the living God. And then later on, he refers to him and says, I desire to see the face of God. Do you understand that the altar brings us closer and closer and closer to God? We have lost the value. And I could preach this, but time will not permit me. We have lost the value of what the altar means and what the altar represents. If you took away the altar in the Old Testament, there's no forgiveness. That's it. You go to the altar. Blood ran on the altar. See, we've gotten comfortable now. Well, I ain't no big deal. But I'm telling you, the altar is still a symbol of the presence of God. The altar. So, hey. If pastor says, come on and pray. And you the only person that gets out of your pew, you should be proud. You really should. Because it shows me that you're trying to get to God. You're trying to get to where He is. You're getting to His presence. So don't ever be ashamed to come to the altar of God. I got saved at the altar of God. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit at the altar of God. I have been healed at the altar of God. I have wanted to quit, but God gave me a breakthrough right there at the altar of God. There is something powerful about the altar. Oh, Jesus. So we too need to go to the altar and meet Him face to face for there there is fullness of joy in His presence. And there we remember we are not alone. Pastor, you just don't get it. I'm discouraged. I'm just ready to quit. I'm ready to give up. I remember the pastor that had the person that came to them and said, I want to do that. I'm giving up. I'm done with it. And I remember him telling them, before you do, I want you to go back home today and I just want you to get a piece of paper out. And I want you to write down all the good things that God did for you while you were serving Him. That's all I need you to do. She ended up coming back and saying, Pastor, I'm sorry. You were right. God's been too good for me to give up on Him now. Today you may be discouraged, but I want to tell you before you do. I, I, I need you to do one thing. I need you to say, I will praise Him. I need you to say, I will remember the heights. I'll remember Him. And I need you to say, I will go to the altar of God. You do those three things and still give up. I will turn you over to Satan like Paul did. The guy in the Bible. Because if you can go through all three of those steps. And not find yourself in communion and closeness to God. I don't want no part of that. 
Because it works, folks. I'm that confident it works. I'm going to leave you with this. I got three Hebrew boys. They're standing before a king. The king is looking at them just like I opened my sermon today. And he's saying, who is that God that will deliver you out of my hands? Or as I said at the beginning, it's as if he was asking them the question, where is your God? Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. I'm I'm going to leave you all with this. And I'm quitting. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down. Bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. God's got a way that he can blow people's minds. He was amazed and he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, True, O king. Look, he answered, for I see four men loose walking in the middle of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth, it is like the Son of God. In his pride and in his snootiness, in his cockiness, in his arrogance, he said, Where is your God? But three Hebrew boys said, even though we feel alone, because everybody else has bowed down out of thousands of people, and there are three of us standing, I feel alone in this crowd. But by the end of the story, Nebuchadnezzar said, wait a minute, where is your God? God said the answer to your question is that he is right in the middle of the fire with his children who he promised he would never leave, he would never forsake. There goes God in the middle of the mess. And there are times that the enemy is going to come to you, ladies and gentlemen, and he is going to say to you, Where is your God? Have you ever heard those words? Has he ever whispered it in your ear? When you were so low and discouraged, things weren't going your way, and that old enemy came in and said, Hey, where's your God? If God really loved you, this wouldn't be going on. If people cared about you, Oh, it would be different if God cared about you. If Jesus really loved you the way he said he did, he wouldn't allow you to go through this. But I'm telling the devil today, I know the answer to the question. I said I know the answer to the question. So just like King Nebuchadnezzar, I want to say to the devil in his little cocky spirit, in his spirit of arrogance, he always thought he was better than God. He's just angry because he can't even hold a candlestick to my God. He's mad about that. He's still angry about it. But devil, to answer your question, I know where God is for every one of these people today. He's right in the middle of the fire. He's right in the middle of the trouble. Child of God, you are not alone. God is right there with you. Let's stand in the presence of God today. Thank you, Jesus. He hasn't left you today. He hasn't forgotten about you today. He's standing right beside you. You don't have to feel lonely anymore 
always remember. Somebody said, man, this is simple preaching. I know it is. And somebody said, I thought it was going to be harder for me to get through this. I didn't think it was this simple. But I am telling you, always remember that Jesus is standing right there beside you. Oh, it can't be that easy, Pastor. It really is. I will praise Him. Even when I don't feel Him. See, the thing I love about the three Hebrew boys, and I didn't base them, they were just a starter and a finisher for me. But the thing I love about the three Hebrew boys is they were praising God before they even went into the fire. They gave God glory before they ever even felt the heat. An arrogant king is trying to smart mouth them. And these boys got so much faith, they say, if God doesn't even deliver us today, He's going to deliver us out of your hands. He may not deliver us from the fire. The fire may kill us, but king, it's not going to be you. It's going to be because God willed it, and it was our time to go. <laughs> but God wanted to show up, and He wanted to shut up a king that thought He knew it all. And God wanted to show those people, thousands of people as they are witnessing this scene, He wants to show them who He really is. Bring them out of the fire. Bring them out of the fire. They're not bound. They went in bound. Their fetters are gone. Come here, Shadrach. I can't believe this. They don't even smell like smoke. And they were in the middle of the fire. There's not even a stench of smoke on them. And an old proud and haughty king, God humbled him right down. And he said, let it be known today that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the God that we're going to praise and worship. You tear down that golden image that I've made. I don't know what come over me. I'm a crazy lunatic. Let us give God praise. Let us give God glory. He's the God. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Ladies and gentlemen, let Jesus shine in your life. Let Him be God for you. Let Him show up. Oh, I am not alone. He's my comfort. Oh, and He's my comfort. If you want to pray today, these altars are open. If you want to pray today, the altars open. Oh, He holds me close. Thank you, Jesus. Oh.